Fast Forward Productions, the women are speaking. I wanted to include people that maybe can't write a huge check to support the cause, but like to contribute in whatever way that they can support. And so like Castability was a really great partnership for that. At the end of the day, my goal is to connect with people and to be with them on their journey. We're moving in the same direction. So I think that that's, we all want to connect on a human level. Everyone's in the same boat. So, you know, being kind and considerate and grateful and empathetic to everyone that you encounter is really, really important. The casting process can often prove to be a mystery. The industry is complicated and decisions are nuanced with no clear path to understanding the how or the why. I'm Amanda Doyle, casting director and director of casting relations at Castability. Never before has data science been applied to an artistic process like casting an actor. Castability provides objective data, tracking each unique casting decision, giving actors and casting professionals an ability to analyze their craft. In this podcast, we will dive deep into the exploration of the creative decision-making process and reveal all that we discover in our mission to make these creative decisions quantifiable. Welcome to Castability, the podcast hosted by the Castability team. Hi, Taylor. Hello. Welcome back. So this is our third episode. Yes. Episode three. We're so excited. So exciting. Yeah, it's it's really exciting. I am so thrilled with the first two episodes. Like I, I've listened to them twice now because I think there's so much to learn and gain from like even listening back to hearing Jay's story, Jay's original like origin story, if you will, and like his experience auditioning for Juilliard uh-huh. and where all of that came from and like where these ideas kind of stemmed from. And just like I, I had never had that conversation with him before so like as I'm like listening to him say this I was really dissecting and piecing together like where the real root of this idea came from and I really enjoyed listening to that origin story again so that was really interesting and then Joe Towns episode is just I mean if you haven't listened to Joe Towns episode yet go back listen to Joe Towns yes please go back fundamental for every user every user but like every human being because there's so much beautiful insight into how our brains function every day, like how we can be more mindful in our everyday lives. And so I was, I was truly genuinely, I like emailed him as soon as I listened to it. Cause I was like, this is so incredible. And I just want to be in touch with you and involved with you more because it's just such a great way to like reframe your everyday thinking. Yes. Just in your life. So I am so thrilled with our first two episodes. I can't wait to like hear all of the different things that we're going to hear as we go through this season. Yes. And please reach out if you have any thoughts about those episodes or any questions. And for our third episode, it was really a no brainer to have Jessica Sherman on. Yeah. So Jessica Sherman is an old friend of mine. We've been friends for a long time. We served on the board of CSA together. She started a nonprofit organization called A Cause for Entertainment years ago. And A Cause really supports anyone who has been affected by breast cancer in any capacity, family members, people who have been affected themselves. It's a beautiful organization. And when we started the Castability app and we were in like serious development, it just felt really right to partner with her and to partner with the organization. And through our partnership, we created what we now call Castaway Cancer, which is an event that's in partnership with Cause for Entertainment and Castability. Castaway Cancer has been developed between us for the last two years. This year, we hosted our second event. And via the Castability app and the Castability process, we have given actors an opportunity to to participate in this event in the same way they participate in castability in general, but all of the funds go directly to a cause for entertainment. So it's been a really great experience both times. It's been a different experience both times because we're learning things each time. And so we had a really lovely conversation with her. Yeah. So what you're going to hear today is two-part episode. First part, we're talking to Jess before Castaway Cancer last year took place so we could find out about how Castaway Cancer begun, more about a cause for entertainment to really get every actor to understand what they are participating in. And then we talked to her again afterwards so she could let us know how it went for her as a cast curator and what cause for entertainment was able to accomplish this year. So please enjoy this episode and thank you so much, Jess. 
Hello, Jessica. Welcome to Castability, the podcast. So nice to have you. Thanks for having me. Yes. Oh, thank you. Wow. We're just we're just here to talk about all things Jessica Sherman, first of all, but also we want to hear about your journey with A Cause for Entertainment and the experience last year partnering with Castability to do Castaway Cancer in partnership with A Cause for Entertainment and how that was and what that was like. And we're so excited because we're going to do it again this year. And everybody over here is super thrilled to participate again. So we're, we're really stoked. So we just kind of want to go back and like hear all about you and how you got to where you are today. Ooh. Lots of, lots of things <laughs> to talk about. Answer everything. <laughs> Do we want to start with class for entertainment or? No, let's start. Tell us about your life. When did you start casting, Jess? I started casting in February of 2010. It was as soon as I realized that it was a profession because I think at mm. the time it wasn't something that was talked about very much. But I, when I graduated college, I did, my parents are originally from Ukraine. And so it was very much a requirement to find something stable and reliable to do. The initial was that I would either I would study business or I would do the family business thing. And then and then I graduated college and was like, see ya, I'll figure something else out. And I interned at a voiceover agency for what ended up being the internship was six months, but I was there for two years. And it was my introduction to working with actors. Mm -hmm. And it was this best sort of exposure because the voiceover community is really tight knit and really wonderful. And I got to see casting, but from an agency perspective, because it's a little bit different for voiceover. The agents have more autonomy in the casting process of who they're submitting and who's auditioning and everything. And so I got to have that exposure and I realized like, well, if there's a voiceover side, that has to be a theatrical side. And what does that look like? And so I very quickly realized that the agency side of the world was not for me. And after six months, I started hunting for casting opportunities, but quickly realized you couldn't make a lateral move. After many attempts of doing what all actors do, and in hindsight, I realized it wasn't the right move. But like I sent postcards, I built websites, I did everything. And yeah. none of it worked for me. And the last sort of thing that did work was I crashed workshops to meet casting associates and directors. Stop. So I met an associate who was who's no longer in the business, took me under his wing. And for like a solid year and a half on evenings and weekends outside of my job, I would do short films and, and commercials and whatever he would let me sit in on. And then after working with him for a while, I remember it like it was yesterday that he called me in February and he was like, I have a job for you. Send me your resume because nobody would hire me without experience at the time. And I've tried so many times. 15 minutes later, he called me back and he was like, just kidding, they want someone with experience, the big studio movie. And so I called my dad at that point. And I'm from California, from Los Angeles originally. And so I basically asked him if necessary, would he support me for a year if I had to quit my job and go do a full-time internship? And he said, yes, but yeah. after a year, you're going to law school if it doesn't work out. <laughs> Okay, I have, I have so many questions. What was your undergrad in? Business and economics. Oh, economics. What? Very different okay. from anything. You're so smart. I didn't... I barely, honestly. Like, it was it was the dumbest thing that I could have done because I thought I'm really... I hate math with a passion. And I was, like, trying to avoid business calculus. And then I was like, oh, I'll try econ. It's just wild to me how your story up until this point is like exact mirror for almost every actor. <laughs> I remember I, I like cold called Deb Aquila, like when I was in college still, like I like, I like sent her a packet of my resume. I don't have no idea if it ever made it. And I literally picked up the phone and cold called her and they were like, yeah, no. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> Being naive is a great thing in a way because we yeah. never do yes. some of the things that we did then now, but I think it's also like, in hindsight, I realized why none of those things worked for me because they thought I was an actor trying to get in. It was a little bit of a double-edged sword. And I actually, when I talked to my dad about trying to intern for a year, so what I ended up doing is I called the associate back and I said, they won't hire me as an assistant. Well, they took take a full-time intern. I met with them. It was a great meeting. They said yes. I quit my job and I went to full-time intern and it was, as far as I knew, it was a remake of Little Darlings they were doing. Whose office was that? It was April Webster and Alyssa Weisberg. Oh, and so yeah. that was the office that I started in and I was, I hung on for dear life, basically. That's so much courage. You literally put everything on the line. Because nothing else was working. 
Right. But when you know so deeply what you're called to do, that's incredible. I think that's the fascinating thing of like where I was in my, my life. In all reality, like I could think that I knew what casting was, but I had no clue. I glorified the whole thing. Had I like half the stuff in my first week of working with April and Alyssa, I was like completely dumbfounded by what casting actually is. Also completely the same for every actor on this exact journey. <laughs> I also got to intern first. My office was BLA Thomas and Associates and like it's the same situation, but you stayed with April and Alyssa for a long time. Every time April and Alyssa partnered on things, I worked with them together. But for the most mm-hmm. part, I was with April for a little over eight years. Yeah, that's amazing. Wow. Oh, okay. So you jumped off on your own in what? 2010? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. Amazing. You're out on your own now. When did you decide that it was important to start a cause and why did that come about? My grandma, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. I think she was about 73, but I guess that's sort of youngish now. Then it was a little bit more common. She and I were very, very close, like best buds forever and ever. And so when she was diagnosed, I just remember having this moment, like we were sitting on the couch and I just knew like everything was going to change before her, she had a double mastectomy. And so she survived the cancer, but she just wasn't the same after that experience. Yeah. And it, it connected me to a different community that I never thought I would be, you know, you never, you never hope you would be basically. And so that had happened Maybe a couple of years later, when I was working at the voiceover agency, there was a woman who I had worked with when I was the intern. And then when I became an official employee, she ended up getting laid off. And she'd been at that company for like 10, 15 years, something like that for Mm -hmm. a very long time. And right after she got laid off, just basically after her severance stuff had gone away, she was diagnosed with breast cancer at 40 years old. Her family's not here. She's not originally from Los Angeles. And so it was really a very jarring experience from the even from the outside to see somebody who didn't have the resources who didn't have the support that she needed to go through that journey and and thank god she did survive it as well but it was really eye opening to see how much these smaller organizations impact people's journeys that you know that are doing the day to day like i was exposed through her journey to we spark cancer community center here in Los Angeles, and just so many other organizations that that help as much as they possibly can. When that had happened, I started getting involved with the Avon Foundation. They do the Avon Walk for Breast Cancer every, for us, it was every November or September in Santa Barbara. And so the first time that I did, I volunteered the first time with my mom, and it was the most incredible experience that I've ever seen. Like women that have just finished chemo were walking with their friends and their family or, you know, people that have lost people, everybody just gets together and it's a huge community. I was doing that for about six years. And the last year that I had done it, I completely destroyed my feet. I was not great at training. You know, I I could not do it. But the the year sort of leading up to that moment, I had raised about $4,500 every year to do the walk. And I think there's like a $1,600 minimum to to participate. And so I thought that was pretty good for someone who's not a good fundraiser and, you know, whatever. I just sort of figured it out. That last year, we were casting The Force Awakens, the first relaunch of the Star Wars franchise. I had so many resources at my fingertips. And I really thought, you know, this is an opportunity to do something more. At the time for the Avon Foundation, you can do a DIY event. And so I decided, you know what, I can't walk, but I'll, I'll put together a little fundraiser. It was actually inspired my friend Josh Tate, he who worked at Bad Robot at the time, he did this thing called Hell Walk. And he doesn't do it anymore. But it was basically like he would walk in a circle in a soundstage for 24 hours while everybody was like enjoying themselves. There was live music. There was like, so it was a hell walk for him. He did a lot of great things within a small space. I saw what he could do there. And I was like, like, I can do that too. I can do this for breast Mm -hmm. cancer. And so I did it the first year. I I did it by myself. And then I had day of volunteers for, we did it at the next door lounge in Hollywood. And bad Jew. I did it on a high holiday. I did not look at the calendar when I, but we still Oops. sold, we kept, we maxed out the capacity of the venue for 250 people. We did, I got donations from all different productions around town. Mm-hmm. We did raffles. We did, we did anything that you can, I could do to squeeze out some money from people. I did. And in the first year I raised $18,000. Amazing. And so I was I was blown away by the support and how people yeah. like once one person said yes, everybody wanted to participate. And yeah, so really. when that happened, I was just like, we can do this on a much bigger scale. 
like it can happen. And so every year, you know, we've, we've changed venues to get bigger spaces and it's been a slow growth that we did. Basically it was like 18,000 was year one, 40,000 was year two, 45 year three, four was 95,000. And then the last year it was less because there was like all hell was breaking loose. That was not even the COVID years. That was just, you know, and then for the the last couple of years, we've sort of tapped down to, which I'm even shocked we raised that much of like 40, 45,000 in the last few years each year. And they were virtual during the pandemic 2020 was a virtual event and then last year we just focused on fundraising because we ended up raising the same amount of money the virtual year that i did last year yeah that makes sense yeah the first two years we did the avon foundation as our beneficiaries and then after that it's become really important to me to find not these big huge umbrellas that take all the money to function so we supported we spark we do dr susan love research foundation who's here in encino who does some great work. And then for the last four years, we've worked with this incredible woman. Her name is Shay Sharp. Her organization is Shay Sharp's Pink Wishes. And she's based in Maryland. And she was a two-time breast cancer survivor by the time she was 35. And she was the one thing that she talks about the most is that you have to be your own advocate. If you don't get your first mammogram until you're 40, I feel like I'm seeing more and more women who are diagnosed early, very young. Yeah, I have a friend who just was just diagnosed and casting actually. And she's yeah under 40 for sure. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, me too. An actor friend, same. Do you find these organizations that you've sort of focused on, are they more direct help? More direct, more daily support. Like Shay is incredible. She's the sort I think her organization started as sort of in the space of make a wish where sort of if you're I think it's anywhere between 18 and 45 or something originally that she would fund your sort of like last wish in a way the organization has grown so much that they're doing day-to-day support they're doing like the thing that like it, it breaks your heart to hear but it's also so amazing that it happens that like after these women pass she takes care of their children and their families like milestones like she's there for them for the holidays for school like to get backpacks full of supplies whatever the kids need started a college fund for them to support them like she's doing astonishing work and she's doing it across the country and I know she's broken into Canada a little bit too now so like whatever we can do as an organization to spotlight her and support her like that's what's really important to us amazing we're still in a soft launch we're still we're still a beta for castability and building and and making changes as we you know get feedback from everyone and and it's still we're still working towards it but in we're still in you know this beta space when we did partnership last year so hopefully we'll be able to do something big and more and we'll just continue to be able to to do this going forward with you because that's such an important thing we're a 100% volunteer organization. Nobody gets a check at the end of the day unless it's a vendor we can't get for free. But it, I, that's the thing that's really important to me is that from the very beginning, I wanted to include people that maybe can't write a huge check to support the cause, but like to contribute in whatever way that they can support. And so like Castability was a really great partnership for that goal for me because it's like, you know, I, I never want to take anything from actors, but it's like everybody wants to be involved in some capacity. They want to give what they can. I, I always appreciate when when people show up in that way. And so this this was a really great way to, to partner up, I think. And what was so beautiful about last year is, you know, maybe some actors came on being like, I want to be seen by these cast nurturers, which was such a great opportunity for them. But it really turned into like people were really inspired by the stories and getting very excited about who wrote them and like having the empathy to perform these stories and what that means. And then we had a couple of actors who also have had cancer who did the scene and it meant so much to them and and shared that experience. And yeah, it was really incredible to watch. Let's talk about that for a second, Taylor, the writers and like what the process was last year that we kind of like decided and created that Jay kind of was like, okay, this is how we're going to do this. Right. Yeah. So last year, I, I believe we all kind of reached out to our immediate community. I know Jay had writer friends, director friends, and I think Jessica, you did too, that had either gone through cancer or someone they were very close to did. So they had this immediate story they wanted to say, and not all of them were writers. So we drafted a few copies and created these scenes out of them. 
And then this year we were thinking we're going to open it up to the castability community because what was so cool is to see these actors speak up and be like, oh, this was my story. And I'm like, oh, okay, great. Like we have people in our community that have stories to tell as well. We were curious if you had any like strong just takeaways from your judging or getting to watch all of these different scenes last year. I think the thing that struck me the most is like how many people can find different ways to connect to the material. Even it may, it may not be firsthand, but it is finding that moment that you can really see that they're all in, you know. And I, I think that mm. that's something that even like I I just started getting curious of like looking people up after seeing them on castability and and the process of just like oh like I've never seen this person before who are they, you know. So I think that there was a lot of different elements of sort of excitement in the process and and what different chords struck in different ways. Oh, amazing. I'm curious about your experience using the app, just actually ranking actors and what was that like and picking a metric, like if there was a metric that was more important to you? Or I think the overall castability is probably the most important metric. But I think because I had sort of participated in a pre-beta, for me, it was that was like the education of how to, to use the app <laughs> and the way to interpret the instructions as well. So that's the thing for all of us. We have a different interpretation. Absolutely. And it's that also sort of uh, depends on taste as well. It's incorporating sort of who I am as a casting director in these different metrics. But I, th I think probably like the overall castability and believability is the part that I yeah. sort of settle in the most. You know, moving past castaway cancer, which we're very excited for, there's another other few things that come up on the app that I'd love to get your opinion on as we have a casting expert right here. And Amanda, please chime in too, because we haven't gotten a chance to talk about this, but a lot of the actors now have kind of accrued a lot of great footage on the app that they can really point to and say, okay, casting director has scored me winning this. So I, I can have some confidence that this is a good scene. And then they're starting to hopefully realize that that's good material to be able to use for a self-tape reel. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts about actors using self-tape reels on Actors Access, how you see that, what would be good things to chunk out when they're looking at material of like, okay, 30 seconds, or if you have any specific ideas? My personal take, I think as far as Actors Access, if you don't have anything that you're excited to share, like do self-tapes. Because at the end of the day, you know, when we're talking to agents and managers, if they've just started working with somebody and they don't have any material on them, I'll always ask for a recent self-tape to just get mm. a point of reference. So I think, yes, do that. Personally, I'm not, I don't think you need a full reel of self-tapes. I think to have like a few different performances that showcase you in different lights to choose from is sufficient to give us a sense of what you're capable of. And just clearly be like, this is what this is. This is what that one is. Because you'd like to see the whole scene. You'd like to see the arc of what happens beginning, middle to end. Is that sort you of know, I think don't have a huge incredibly long scene because I also am very mindful that that's expensive for actors to post the idea of actors who are maybe having trouble transitioning from co-stars to guest stars that idea if you're only posting material on there that's showing you as a co-star of like doing these one line little bits like there is a point in which some people won't be able to see you as an actor doing more than that so giving us a little bit more to show that you have a little bit more of an arc or more material or something like that, that will showcase you handling heavier, sort of a heavier load in that way. What was the biggest takeaway or what was the biggest thing you learned from April? I think making sure that the actors are comfortable. That's like the big thing for me that I think in different offices, you might have a different experience, but that was always, if you're not making sure the actors feel comfortable and safe in the room. And now it's so different because it's a hundred percent self tapes, which is a, such a weird space to work in, but that it's counterproductive if you can't make an actor feel comfortable because you're yeah. not going to be able to access what they need to access to give you the best performance. How did she make actors feel comfortable? Was there something that you could like point to? I, it's just her warmth. I think that she's really good about talking to people before they come into the room, greeting them properly, bringing them in, introducing them warmly to whoever's in the room, asking, do you have any questions? So I think it's like really creating a space, a creative space that people feel safe working in is so important for actors and for us as well, because I think at the end of the day, my goal is to connect with people and to be with them on their journey and we're moving in the same direction. So I think that that's, we all want to connect on a human level beyond our profession. And so like to know 
how are your children? How is that, you know, mm-hmm. to, to, to be able to talk to people and to collaborate with them is so important. And you can't do that if people don't feel comfortable. And as an actor, the work gets exponentially more creative and fulfilled if the person in front of you makes you feel comfortable. It's like you're midwifing the best performance as possible. And but a lot of people don't think about that. So that's really incredible and gift to get the best performances. I know you said self-tape world is like completely different as of course for everyone. But have you noticed a difference in actors work or obviously there's a different process for everyone? I think now more than ever you sort of see I mean it's always been a thing it's like I've always heard like George Clooney was a horrible auditioner so thank god he only started (laughs) taking meetings like those were little things that I'd heard along the way and I never understood but the idea that some actors are just not great auditioners especially in, in a room with people so I think yes there are people that are doing so much better because they have the flexibility and like the comfort of their own home to do the self-tapes but then I talk to actors who like hate self-tapes and feel like they're auditioning in a vacuum and they don't know what you know what they're doing or they don't have any support it's a win for some and a loss for others it's like some rely on that charisma slash adrenaline from the room I had a, a live callback yesterday and that kind of feedback right away. And then you're like, whoa, I didn't even know it was going to give that performance. How exciting. But then also there's creativity that I feel reclaimed when I'm doing a self-tape because not only do I get to decide my performance, but also the framing and the lighting and the, this whole you know piece that is my own. So there's pros and cons, absolutely. But I have absolutely seen some of my friends excel and some really held back by it. It's very interesting. And I think we're, we're all navigating this together. And so it's important to remember that like, Yes, the the initial part of the process these days and going forward will likely be digital and, and we'll have to just deal with that either, you know, we get you on like a Zoom situation and we record it or you send in a self-tape, but eventually you'll be interfacing with somebody at some point in the process. And so the ability for us to to help guide you through that is still going to be there at a certain point in the process. And I think that's important to remember. It's also important to like ask questions if you have questions, then if we didn't give you enough information or we didn't give you, and you know, sometimes we're, we're limited in the information that we can give you. And so, but we can always help with tone. So ask questions if you have if you have questions. You mentioned that we're all sort of doing this together. We're all adjusting together. But the idea that, you know, we are also working with filmmakers for the first time and have never met them in person. So before in a space where like, I can get to know somebody and I can connect with somebody and know what their weaknesses and strengths are as directors, as showrunners, to be able to help the actor get to where they need to go. I don't have that luxury anymore. I don't have that that support either. So it's, you know, I was talking to an agent the other day. She was saying it's so hard to get feedback for actors. And I think it's like, it's a struggle for us too, because sometimes we're still trying to get to know how to communicate with our filmmakers. We were talking about this with Joe Town. It's extremely difficult for us to give usable feedback that isn't going to be misinterpreted and do harm. So, you know, we don't we don't want to be responsible for for doing harm if someone misinterprets something that we say in, in, in an email or something like that. And so feedback in general is very difficult to give effective feedback, you know, constructive feedback is very difficult to give if you're not in a space with the actor or virtually with the actor face to face where you they can hear and understand tone when you communicate whatever you're trying to communicate to them. So we tend to just say nice read, it's not going their way or something like that and you'll see that a lot and that's just in an effort to protect the actor frankly from the telephone of communication that can happen between us and and them. And you're so right, Jess. Like I didn't, I hadn't seen Juan Pablo de Pache like in person in like eight years or something like that. Like I, the first time I saw him in person and was able to like give him a hug was in Italy on the ground for his movie. And so like, it's very difficult to do this job that's super visceral and like, and, and we're, we're reading energies through a computer, but we're making it work because everybody has to just make it work. Question on that. Do you feel like this is something that came up for me because I started really heavily auditioning for TV and film once the pandemic started? When you get a self-tape of someone you've never met before, is there some 
trust like issue that occurs like well, before you send this person on set is that has that ever come up for you or not so much anymore it's challenging to gauge generally because we don't have that like in the room experience with somebody but I right. do think it depends sort of what kind of the weight of the role that we're hiring somebody for if it's like a co-star the day player situation then like if I'm looking at their material and they look like they're good there and they look great in the self-tape like the performance is there then I'm probably going to be more comfortable with it. But if it's if it's like a series regular role and I don't know this person, I'm probably going to do a bit of due diligence before we really engage with somebody. Yeah, and we would set meetings and stuff, like virtual Zoom meetings for everybody. Getting to know them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, like talk to people that have worked with them before. Yeah, I, I think people don't realize we do research. We check references you know, in a, in a very non-corporate way. <laughs> and, you know, I was just uh, going back and forth with this, your social media, but like, like, I don't care how many followers you have. That means nothing to me. I check your social media to kind of understand who you are tonally as a person. That's like the best way for us to get to know you, you know, when we can't be in the room with you and we can't have a conversation with you about what you like and like, what other things do you do and all of that. So social media is a resource that actors didn't have before and casting directors and filmmakers and stuff like that. And so if casting directors are public, you should be following them. I feel like don't harass them, but also, you know, be respectful and be mindful. But I think it's like, it's a line into what we're interested in and how to connect on a human level. Again, I feel like I preach that all the time because being authentic and organic as, as much as possible. I think that the goal is that we're always hoping that we'll all work together, but to, mm-hmm. to to get to know people, just generally yeah. speaking, I think it's something we didn't have before. Yeah, I remember in Kilkenny, I was like backstage with somebody was interviewing me or something like briefly as I was walking around and they were like, what are your feelings on networking? And I was like, ew, like, I don't know. Like, I don't, I'm not like a networker. I've never been like, I got to, out to LA in like 2006 and like I had a bunch of friends that took the agent route and they were always going to drinks and stuff. It's so not me. Like I couldn't do it. And I might be in a different place today if I did. <laughs> I don't know. Like we're in the same spot and I was like a huge networker and it was not, it was exhausting, but I did it. Oh God, I couldn't do it. And I was like, no, I, I want authentic like interactions, you know, I, I, I mean, I went to a couple drinks with agents here and there, but like, who cares? Like, it was so dumb. You know, I just, it felt so, it was like this required, like, come like hang out with me and be friends with me. It's like required to like move forward. Ugh, I started know? doing this thing when I, cause everybody wanted to do drinks, like, especially like agents, assistants and stuff like that. Cause I get it. Like it's a way to get up, build relationships, but cause I didn't want to pack my weeks with drinks. Yes. I started doing a once a month. It was funnily enough. It was called, <laughs> It was called a night of entertainment. I invited people that I wanted to like hang out with because I was talking to them more than I was talking to my own family, their agency buddies. And so it would be, it w- I have to tell you, I have started many a friendships through a night of entertainment. That and I am so very fun. proud of that. You took it back in your own court. You're like, oh my gosh. Yeah, that's so funny. Oh my gosh. I was I like not that so I was just like nope sitting at home watching a movie tonight or whatever <laughs> sitting by myself <laughs> staring at the wall I'll be fine but there is I guess you know you said maybe it would be different now maybe you are more in your own skin so you could bring yourself more authentically to even those interactions we have taken ownership especially in in this sort of I don't know if it's post pandemic but pandemic world endemic and yes whatever it is but this idea of like we're taking more authority of things that we do and don't want to do and so I think that when we do things we're there like we're present thousand percent yeah everything has so much more like meaning to it now and it's it's every moment is so much more important and that I think that's that's you know not to put pressure on every moment but like it, it that's true that's so true Oh, biggest takeaways. Exactly what you just said after the pandemic. Maybe I should start doing things that I want to do. And I just have to say this leads me to like, I think actors don't realize we are literally in the same boat and we're fighting for jobs too. Like it's so hard for us to get jobs, you know, like you can see if you look at the pool of casting professionals, like who's getting all the jobs and who's, you know, kind of like hanging on. And 
it's important to stress like everyone should move forward in this industry with empathy because like every person that you encounter is frankly lucky to be there and they know it, you know, and everyone's just kind of hanging on. And so all the way down to the grips and the, like the best boys and the, the electricians and the, you know, the PAs and everybody is just like, everyone's in the same boat. So, you know, being kind and considerate and grateful and empathetic to everyone that you encounter is really, really important. And giving back when you can to loop it back (laughs) to the amazing work that you've done. I wanted to ask you about Coffee with Casting and how that began and what, because I'm really enjoying watching it and yeah, what you've learned from doing it. Honestly, it started because I was so freaking bored. (laughs) (laughs) Because I I started, I think, three weeks into lockdown. Since then, I've adopted a dog and I have things to do. But I think the amazing thing that happened during the, the lockdown was to see our community really come together and and casting directors trying to figure out ways to support actors and actors trying to stay creative. And, and I think, you know, us trying to support actors was also keeping ourselves sane in the process because right now we're sitting on our hands, not doing anything. My sort of weird thing to say about yourself, but my brand in that way has always been to like try to demystify casting for actors, because I think that that is the struggle. There's no communication between people that are actually casting in the industry versus people that are teaching often. So you get these sort of like broad stroke statements of like make bold choices and win the room and all of these things that actors hear so many times, but there's no connective tissue to what we do in that way. So I think it's like they put so much pressure on the actor when they don't know anything that happens behind the scene. When I teach classes, I talk about it. When I do these episodes of these chats, I talk about it. And I wanted to take the relationships with actors that I've built over the last 13 years and pull back the curtain of like what it looks like. Because the only thing that we ever see when an actor is successful or even on social media is the red carpet and the billboards and like how sexy it all is and all of that stuff that like it's the overnight success that took 20 years. That is what I wanted to talk about because the thing, when, especially when actors come to LA, they have this false sense of timeline of how quickly things are going to happen. And it, it burns them out so quickly, like the rejection burns them out and the, just the lack of information. So that was the inspiration of all of it. And then it sort of took on a life of its own, because I think in like the first few weeks of doing the conversations, myself, I'm not someone who looks at social media for other people or followers or for myself. But I started to notice a hunger for the information. I like, I think I had like 3000 followers at the beginning of the pandemic. And I'm at like 25,000 right now. There's such an appetite for these conversations to happen is the thing that keeps me scheduling them as much as I possibly can at this point. And asking authentic questions and really getting at what actors really want to hear and not just the fluff. That's why I've been really enjoying it. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you all so much. I'm really excited to do this again this year and for the opportunity to talk about it. Absolutely. And we'll have you back and we'll do a whole nother episode about something really specific because you've got so much to share and you're just so wonderful. We love you, Jess. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. Well, welcome back, Jess. We so appreciate you coming back. We wanted to do a part two of our Castaway Cancer episode, a debrief of sorts. We want to know how A Cause for Entertainment is doing and what were your takeaways from Castaway Cancer and how everything went. And you have some exciting news to share with us that you just that just popped up in your phone. Yeah, so we're very excited to share that we actually raised $50,675 this year, which is more than last year. I think we raised 42000 last year. Wow! So it's a big, big bump. And yesterday was Shay Sharp's birthday. And so I shared that with her yesterday. And it was great because we, we get to send her a nice big check and it makes makes us all very happy. Oh, that is incredible. And her foundation is so incredible. And it's so satisfying to get to that 50 mark. 
just oh yeah right above it so exciting oh congratulations and I'd actually love to hear more about you know we've been very focused on the castaway cancer side of your fundraising this year but if there's anything else you want to share about what your other efforts to get to that big number it is a community effort across the board we enlisted so many different people whether it's allowing actors to participate in a way that they can afford to do it and in their heart of hearts to get something out of it with castaway cancer you know casting directors participated we host a charity buzz online auction every year we have casting director meetings so we had a lot of a wonderful roster of casting directors pitch meetings that production companies donated. So it's it's not just a, a one ticket thing. We, we raise money in so many different ways, direct donations. I mean, in any way people can be part of the journey for us is it's really important. And so it's very exciting to see all the different ways that people as recipients, as donors, they can all get involved and feel like they're doing something. And within the industry too, and you're using the resources you have. Yeah. And I'm excited because this year we've just sort of final, not finalized, finalized, but we've finalized the decision to be in person this year for our event in October. And it's the first time since 2019. So I'm really excited to bring it back and to be able to see everybody's faces and, and work towards raising even more money next year or this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Congratulations. So that's going to be in October 2023 this year. Yeah. This year. Yeah, that's exciting. Amazing. Well, I thought it'd be fun to kind of go over how Castaway Cancer went for everybody who participated, but maybe those who missed it this year. We raised a total of 8,500. It's nice to have a whole number. <laughs> we had about 506 submissions for scenes. We had 17 casting curators, and we had total eight writers who wrote eight scenes. And at first we released 10 scenes because we thought that would be a good satisfying number. And then we decided to do a round two. And it was so incredible for actors to jump back in. And we did the four remaining characters, which we ended up being really excited that we did because then we could pair up and really watch the scenes play out together. Well, the, the two self tapes and we edited together and that was satisfying. So in part one, we talked about your experience as a casting curator doing it, but also, you know, your experience on the app, discovering new voices and new actors. And we'd love to hear any takeaways you had this year. I loved that you guys did that, the cutaways, sort of the announcements of who the winners were. I think that was so fulfilling to, to be able to see the talents work together, <laughs> but separately. Isn't that interesting? Like, it, it's like, it's almost like they were watching each other, you know, like they're on screen together. It's fascinating to watch. Yeah. You can have chemistry within your own self-tape. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think it sort of speaks to the level of the winners, like the skill set of winners to be able to keep that pacing with someone who's not even in your scene and for it to flow so naturally. So I think that that it, it was really cool to see that. I had a couple of questions for you just about being a curator. You know, you just said the keeping the pacing and without giving away, obviously, what, what scene you casted. I felt like with the way our app works, you can kind of, it's not to, it's not like swipe right and swipe left, but it is very instinctual, you know, quickly organize in order your preferences. And in these first few seconds, I know Amanda's spoken about this. You guys have such experience that you can kind of tell right away. But if you are able to describe what made you lean in and what made you quickly know it wasn't right. Any of those gut instincts, because you watch so many people do the same scene. Yeah, it's actually, Amanda and I have had this conversation before about how it's really interesting to dissect the different categories, because I think what we do instinctually, we just sort of see it. We don't, I, at least I can speak for myself, like I don't necessarily break it down to the believability and the creativity and the specificity. No, never. Right. It's not something, it's not how my brain is wired when I'm doing it. So to have to sort of dissect the different layers and to find, you know, who did, who was stronger here, who was stronger there. I honestly, I found it challenging at first, but I think that like now that I've had, you know, some time to work with the app and to, to really get a sense of what those details are and how to narrow in on them. It, it sort of beasts me up in a different way of how I look at things now, which is interesting. Right. It's a practice for us too, because there's, you know, when, when you're working from instinct, there's no real like series of guidelines for us to kind of go from, to try to determine like what makes a good performance when it's kind of in front of you. 
and you're like, oh, okay, well, I have to really specifically focus on this particular, we call the metrics right now. It's a practice for us too, which, and what you just essentially like said is that it's, it's an absolute practice for us as well. In addition to, you know, being a practice for the actors. You said it was difficult at first to identify the metric and get specific there, but it did it feel instinctual to rank people even, or was it like, oh, what's the difference between two and three and four and five? Did that feel like more difficult? Yeah, I think the opposite ends of the spectrum were very easy to identify, right? So it's like, the, and then it's it's getting to the finite, you know, of how much better is this person than that person? And that's sort of the the tricky part of this is that not to say that like two people could be excellent in those categories, but it is relative, right? So it with within casting, it's relative. So it's it's sort of a unique thing to be to have to rank people against each other because it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not as strong as you know. So, but it, but they could be equal. There's just no version of this, <laughs> right? And it's about making like game day decisions. Like, yes, they could be equal, but in this moment, in this time for the purpose of this particular scene, because we have no like restrictive, like we don't have anybody specifically saying like, this is what was required for this role. So we're making really specific choices within each metric, specifically the castability metric based on something that doesn't necessarily exist. So it's kind of, it's a really interesting practice in an instant, you know, trusting your gut and your instinct. I was just going to say, it's about capturing those quick decisions over time. And it's a good place to mention for anyone who's listening to this episode that just just participated in Castaway Cancer and isn't super familiar with the purpose of collecting data. One data set is only that. It's only like that casting director's minute impulse in that moment. It doesn't have anything to do with a decision about your worth or your ability at all. And I will say too, some of these, you heard me say we had 506 submissions and some of the characters more heavily than others got submitted to. So you might've been in a batch where you had over a hundred submissions. Those few last rounds, everybody was incredible. And I, I was, I was really moved by, I felt like the winners, especially in some of these that had a large batch had a really unique choices and were very unexpected. So if anybody hasn't seen it, definitely go watch in the winner's gallery writers reactions too. And know Jess if you got to see yeah it's beautiful it really is special yeah seeing you know any I'm sure writer watching their work in a movie or film that they wrote is going to be incredibly moving but to have it be your cancer story I mean what a unique experience to see so many voices too one of the writers was saying in her longer video watching so many people do her story and everybody being so unique was just kind of mind-blowing because it was all her and she it was just it's a very moving yeah it was it's definitely something really special I think you guys have, have cornered it of of how to do what we do and have impact that I mean that's honestly with cause for entertainment that's like the best part of it is that we get to feel inspired about things that we love and 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 to help and I think that that it's so easy in this industry to to get carried away and to care about the things that don't really matter. So that when we can do something like this and know that it's actually it's helping somebody every single day, like it means a lot. And I know it's and it's totally valid to want to participate to be seen by casting. That's why we did identify the casting directors in order to raise money. That's part of it. But seeing everybody's dedications and why they ultimately decided to do the scene and who they were doing the scene for is very moving. And that's all on our Instagram page too. We saved all of that if people want to check it out. Speaking to the point about how you know, actors only collected this one data set. And obviously we are encouraging them to get more impressions from casting. You, your mission you shared with us last time and I see and everything you do is to demystify the casting process. Is there anything you would tell actors who are maybe at the beginning of collecting that data from casting and what even that data could do for them as far as just how seriously they take it and just any, any takeaways you have from being a curator in that way? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think this is sort of the, the golden age of becoming an actor or emerging, you know, the, the number of resources that are at your fingertips that just didn't exist before is just crazy, you know, with social media, with castability, to be able to have access to those metrics and to be able to understand, you know, 
everything that we do as casting directors, it's all relative, right? It, it depends on where we are in the process of when we see you. It depends on who, you know, who we've just seen right before you and right after you. So these, these things all, you know, affect your chances when you're auditioning, right? So this is such a great thing to simulate that experience because when I am a curator, I'm seeing it's all relative. It's immediate, right? So it's the same thing of watching self-tapes in that, in that sense. So being able to collect the metrics from multiple casting directors, because that's the thing, as Amanda said before, you know, that it's all instinctual. There's not really like taste-wise creating your, your taste. There's no training guide. It's just whatever you gravitate towards and you know there's people that are hbo taste there are people that are cw taste it, they all look different and they all sound different depends on who you're talking to right so being able to have the collective of the metrics and understanding what the common ground is like that i think is such a huge resource for actors and i think it's it's great yeah and transparency of who casting responded to because it's like i asked you that but it's kind of hard to describe like what is it that makes you lean in but we can watch the videos that did progress and and start to gather that information what was it like for you amanda to speak to what we just said we did some experiments early on where we you know kind of tested three casting directors against each other you know, curating the same sequences, exactly the same. So they like loaded the, in the exact same capacity. And what we found was 75% of our decisions were the same. So that's a 25% variable in like personal taste, which is what you were just speaking to, which I is what I think is like the most interesting part of this is that most people can look at a performance and say, okay, that was good or that was bad. Like it's very like, there's something very clear about a good performance to a bad performance. And most people can identify that, you know, one or two, but the little stuff in between is what is really interesting. Like that in between, like, oh, this was good because, or this was not good in my opinion, because that's the stuff I find to be the most interesting. And so my real interest is, is the data of the casting curators, like against each other and to kind of see like where we all kind of land to kind of dissect and figure out why we think the way we think as human beings, not necessarily as like casting professionals, but like as human beings, why did we respond to that performance in particular? Why did we all give that person or that performance in particular fives across the board or something like that? I say fives because the way we rank them is, is five stars, right? So five stars across the board. So for me, every time I get to curate, it's just, I'm just so intrigued by what we will learn from the curation process, especially when it's either in combination with or in alignment with other casting professionals, either curating the same sequence, which, you know, we only did in that experiment or curating next to me doing like a different sequence and a different batch. And like, and, you know, a lot of these actors participated in multiple scenes, which was really even more exciting because you, we saw some winners that went one in multiple roles this year. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So that to me, that's like a really interesting data point too, right? So like, what about that particular actor and what metric did they score the highest, you know, castability is its own metric. So it's not the data points in the four other metrics deciding for us, who's going to get the castability metrics. So sometimes you could be a three across the board, but be the one that we choose for castability, because for some reason you just really worked for that particular scene in that particular moment. To me, what's really interesting is kind of like taking a look at the data, taking a look at the science and dissecting everything to see like why, you know, because that's not something that we're typically addressing because there's just been no way to measure that before. Thank you so much for involving us this year in Castaway Cancer. And we're so proud of what we were able to raise. And I know I saw on Instagram last week, you have some new stuff going on with you. And we'd love to hear about what you're offering actors and your continued mission to demystify Yes, thank you. And honestly, like the gift to be able to do this with you guys, a Castaway Cancer is just such a great thing for us. And so we're grateful that you want to do it again and again. So thank you for that. Yeah, so I, I started a consultation service outside of casting to guide actors in their journey of trying to overcome the hurdles that they're facing. I think it's so difficult. It's a game of telephone when we're working with actors of going through agents and managers and what works, what doesn't. And then there's outside factors that, you know, nobody asks us about, but tell actors that it's what we want. So I think it's really important to hear it from the horse's mouth and to have this insight. The two things for actors specifically that I'm offering is like a quick chat. If an actor has specific questions about 
you know, their material or a, a particular instance that they're in the middle, you know, situation. So there's that version of it. And then there's a full comprehensive conversation that I'll, I would review their material. We would, I would really get a sense of what their journey has looked like, what are their goals, and we would strategize on, on what's the best way to get there. And in addition to the actor part of it, I'm also doing the same thing with filmmakers, directors or producers, just to, because it's a long journey for us. You know, we work on indie films for sometimes a few years and, and, and most of the time, a few years. Yes. (laughs) So I think that that's the, the thing for me is to one, there are a lot of times that start working with up and coming filmmakers, whether they're producers or directors or whatever it is, and they just don't have experience working with casting directors or what that's supposed to look like. And so I have one level that is just an introduction. You can ask any of your questions. I will try to help you explain what that's supposed to look like and what the collaboration should feel like. It's a collaboration. So it should represent that. You know, and then the other version for the filmmakers is a comprehensive film breakdown, essentially. They would send me their scripts and I would look at it and and specifically talk to them about what's realistic based on the components of the project. And so I'm I'm just trying that feels to me like a really traditional casting consultation. And and that is like that's great because that and I can't tell you how necessary that is in all of the situations that I've been approached with, all of the scripts I've been approached with. It's there's just there seems to be a lack of understanding in general about how to engage with a casting director, especially in the indie film space where they just don't, you know, it's it's and and in the indie film space the technical job is not different, but there's so it's so much more involved. Like the casting part of the process is so much more involved because there's other contingencies that are happening with the cast. So I think a, a, a very, you know, for, for first time filmmakers, for anybody who's like jumping in with a casting director for the first time, a casting consultation is a, a real thing that I think would be very valuable and very helpful. So that's awesome, Jess. Yeah. And not really been done before. I've never seen that offered before. So it's very cool. Yeah, like a lot of our our indie film deals will like start with a consultation phase, but to offer it as like even earlier, like one off, I think is really, really cool for those who might not have the opportunity to get to that position. Yeah, I also think it's just, you know, there are many a times where we are engaged, where they're not ready for us. Right? Oh, that's so, happening to me right now on yeah. multiple projects. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's like really explaining to the filmmakers of when is the right time and how to set yourself up in the right way to to then engage with the casting director. So it's, it's a yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think we'll do another episode with you just, just to talk about indie filmmaking in general, because I think that would be a really interesting episode just to talk about because it's so different than television. I mean, both you and I both come from like either big budget film or, you know, television, which is a really structured, specific, easy, not easy in... no. Not easy in the way that it's easy to cast because it's certainly not, but easy in other ways because like the money's there, like it's, it's a very regimented process. Like if there's, there's expectations. So the casting process is just very different in that particular situation. And I think, you know, there's so many filmmakers that want to be able to practice the art of filmmaking and those people exist in the indie space. And it is imperative that you engage with a casting director if you're going to have, in my opinion, if you're going to make a successful film, you can't do it by yourself. Like you need the expertise of a casting professional. And the service that you're providing offers a really, it gives them the opportunity to not waste, essentially waste money and time to like really understand like what they're looking at in regard to their specific script and story and when it would be appropriate and how much it is appropriate to compensate that casting professional to do the job that you need them to do to be able to make your film. And I want to be really clear. You need a casting director to get your indie films off the ground, period. You can't, I, I, you cannot make an indie film without casting consultation and a casting professional involved, in my opinion. So Jess, that's so cool. Congratulations on that. I love that. I think it's so important and it's so necessary. And I think, you know, on one hand, you're just continuing to service actors in a way that's like so filled with such empathy. And I think that that's really important because obviously you and I both come from this space where we're watching these actors struggle through this, you know, preconceived idea of what a career could and might be, but having no real sense of guidance. So it is a service to actors. It is a service to filmmakers. 
I adore you. I'm so excited for you in this new endeavor while you're simultaneously continue to cast, continuing to cast these big, beautiful projects. So congratulations on that. And I'm going to end this beautiful, beautiful episode with a huge congratulations to Jessica Sherman for being the recipient of the Rosalie Joseph Humanitarian Award at this year's Artios Awards. That's the Casting Society's 2023 Artios Awards. Congratulations, Jess. Thank you. Thank you Yay. so much for all of that. That was <laughs> so special and I really appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. All right, Jess. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You're the best. We love <laughs> yes. you. Thank you and congratulations to A Cause for Entertainment. Thank yes. you so much. Yes, congratulations to A Cause. Congratulations to you. You're doing great, great things for the entire community and we love you and appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye. The Castability app was created by Jay Boyer. Castability, the podcast, is produced by Fast Forward Productions and hosted by the Castability team. Thanks for listening. 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 Thanks for listening.